Welcome to The Leading Rain, a podcast that tackles issues in the horse industry. Each week, we deliver insights into how technology can improve horsemanship and equine education. All right, well, welcome back, everyone. This is our first official episode here with The Leading Rain. Today, I'm joined by my very best friend, Jessica Petro. Jess, I feel like this is like a little deja vu because we did something similar to this last year, and it took us about... <sighs> It took us about 10,000 takes to get it. I know. I know it does. I know you're sitting in that porch. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, we were sitting in that porch. It was fun. It was a good time. Um, But we're here to talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Harry Chapman. My favorite man. Your favorite man, exactly. (laughs) I think it's important for everyone to understand, first of all, that Harry, better known as Gramps in uh, this group, was your grandfather. And so maybe if you want to just share, you know, a little bit of like that and some of the background and stuff for Harry, and then we can get into the, the really fun stories really that fun, I know we have the that fun. are for share. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And this is such an honor for my family. So I'm, I'm just absolutely over the moon. Okay. So my grandpa has kind of an interesting history, life story. He started riding saddlebreds when he was 12 <laughs> years old. It's kind of like late to ride. His mom rode, you know? Yeah. Um, and then he didn't even get on a jumper until he was 15 years old. And then at 17, he won the Olympic trials for the West Coast. So like only two years on a jumper and he did that. But, you know, because of cost and everything back then, he was not able to do that. And probably, you know, who knows if he would have been ready, but he felt like he was. (laughs) Uh, Just wasn't in his family cards. You know what I mean? He liked to win. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Harry was ready. He was ready to go. (laughs) Then he went into the Air Force, did that. Um, First thing he did when he got out of the Air Force was buy a horse, and it lived in their chicken coop. I kid you not. They had this big chicken coop on their farm. Oh, my gosh. Uh Uh-huh. I did not know that. He came in and told his wife, you know, my grandma at the time, I'm going to get a horse. And she's like, well, where are we going to put it? And they had this giant, crazy chicken coop that was falling down. And he's like, I'm going to put it in the chicken coop. And my grandma said that, sure enough, he put like two stalls in this chicken coop so he could have a horse in his backyard. <laughs> you know, and my mom was growing up and stuff. So that kind of got him back into it, the chicken coop horse. <laughs> Uh, later down the line in um, 86, him and his wife started H&MC Enterprises. And they purchased their farm, Whip and Spur, in 88. And that's when he hired Rich. And he started training for them in the fall of 89. So they kind of really got their business up and, and ready to go. Through that time, he owned several World Cup horses, El Marcial. I don't know how to say that name very well. McGinnis, Gyro, Flexible. In my lifetime, McGinnis and Gyro and Flexible were kind of the big deal. But El Marisol was their first big horse. So that was pretty cool. And my grandpa rode that whole time as an amateur uh, with Rich, and he had a horse named Big Frank, and he was like, I swear to God, like, <laughs> like a perjure on thoroughbred or something. Like, he was Big Papa. And uh, <laughs> so he rode until 94, and it was actually a funny story. He was like in a 
you know, the, like the high amateurs to like the meter forties or at the, you know, 35s or whatever it was at the time. And, uh, he said that the triple bar coming out of the corner was just too big and wide for him. <laughs> so he said it was time for him to uh, <laughs> hang up his boots, and he bought a road horse. He always said that when he was done with jumpers, he was going to get back in the saddlebred thing, and, and he ended up buying a road horse. So standard breads were a big passion of his, too. And he had a horse up at uh, Chuck and Carol's in Canada. You've been there, right, Al? Yeah. And, yep. um, yep. And then he had a horse on the East Coast as well. So he kept one on, on each coast. He just really loved that. So that was kind of his passion. And he did that up until the day he died, quite literally. <laughs> and it was, it's, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. He's definitely an interesting, an interesting man because I don't think most people realize how diverse his background is. I mean, I didn't. When I met Harry, well, that's a story that I'll tell in a minute. But when I met Harry, I only knew him <laughs> as the Legend Flexibles owner. And I had no idea, you know, that he had done all right. these other things. And he was still yeah. incredibly active within the equine community, just you know, not, we didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like people didn't realize that he was very dedicated to driving himself. You know, his horses were in Canada and he drove there monthly for lessons, met up with them at horse shows. He flew back East all the time. You know, he very much kept himself schooled and trained up and he did his workout plan so he could stay strong to stay in the cart, you know, cause those things go like 15, you know, well, they go 25 miles an hour. They go really fast. It was terrifying. Okay. Um, and, and, and you have to say, okay, so Harry was five, two. Yeah, he's five, small three. Guy. I mean, he small. was not. Yeah, he was not a big man. So you know, he really did no. have to train for this. He looked like a yeah. Jockey. He worked I mean, out, honestly, you know, every day. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he was small. Yeah, despite his ice cream habit, like he kept himself really healthy. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! But um. Yeah, and then I I rode all as a kid, and I was super terrified of my grandpa until, um, <laughs> and like seriously until probably he quit drinking in 2008. So probably about 2008, I didn't even like talk to him. <laughs> he was so scary to me. His dog always I was bit say, me, depending, and like yeah. depending on how your round went, also was dependent yes. on how scared you were. <laughs> and how his mood was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How how well how fast did you go? <laughs> yeah, how fast did you That's go? That's really exactly. funny. That was really it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you gonna be champion this week or not? Or not? I know. <laughs> Basically, <Yeah>. pretty much. <laughs> but <laughs> we love him for it. And then, um, yeah, we can we can talk about how I don't know how you want how you want me to bring in the buck stuff. And... Oh my gosh. But first of all, before we get into anything else. So when I met Harry for the first time, <laughs> I don't even remember what horse show it was because this experience has I, left such I, an I, imprint I on it was, on yeah, I, I know exactly what you're about to talk about. <laughs> oh, take it away, baby. So, so we were, <laughs> we were at, at a show and, um, and I'm like stabled at the end of the bar Nile because we were with Jeff Cook, who uh -huh. helps us, you know, on our jumpers our and yeah. hunters begrudgingly. 
Yeah. And, um, and I'm at like the end of the barn aisle because I'm like the new, the new one on the block. Right. So I'm in the back and I come like walking up the barn and here comes this dog. Well, first of all, actually, I think I heard like a kid scream first. I think there was a kid that screamed. Yeah. Yeah, and then it like here comes Clancy, the dog, just like running you gotta around describe the corner. Clancy. Clancy was a cockapoo, and he was like this tan cockapoo yeah. with like trimmed hair, but his ears were like as curly as they come, and when he runs, they would like flap in the wind. <laughs> Anyways, and he looked exactly like a cocker spaniel, but with like curly poodle hair. <laughs> like that's like what he looked like. Wearing a service dog vest. <laughs> yeah, he and he was thick, right? So he yeah. came running around the corner as fast as he possibly could with a bag of like Chips Ahoy or something in his <laughs> it mouth. Was, it and was Chips Ahoy. He ran. He oh ran. <laughs> and he ran straight up. He ran straight up to Harry. And I here, here I am. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, like witnessing this. And Harry grabs the bag of cookies and starts eating them. Yeah, horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Let's horrifying. say that the bag was sealed, everyone. You need to know that. My grandpa was it disgusting, was but he definitely <laughs> <laughs> took advantage of whatever that dog stole from children. <laughs> My grandpa would eat if it was sealed. It's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so oh my God. A hundred percent. And yeah. and I knew like the moment I knew that um I knew it was Harry. I was like, that's Harry. Yeah. Like, I didn't even need to be introduced. No. Yeah. So I just knew that was Harry. Yeah. So that was, like, my first introduction to, to Harry Chapman. And it was <laughs> all uphill from there, really. <laughs> the real Harry Chapman. Yeah. No, there's so many endless, so many endless stories. So many stories about him. What was the other one I wanted to bring up? There was one really really funny time that he flew down and you and I were in oh Del Mar and, yeah. and Harry was pretty like spiffy. You know what I mean? Like he, oh, yeah. he, he was wore his, like He wore his, what he called his sun pants, which I'm not really sure. Yeah. But basically they're khakis. And then he had his paddock boots on all the time and they were always polished. Like if you, his boots weren't polished, there was something he was yeah. sick. Like <laughs> he was sick. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh oh my and I remember I remember so clearly because we drove down to Del Mar with the horses and then he flew in and so he Harry had his yellow Porsche that's like everyone knew he had his yellow Porsche and he flew in and he oh got God. this like minivan, minivan. But it wasn't even really a minivan <laughs> and he was so grumpy the whole we because he, he got drove, that minivan yeah and he drove down the barn aisle and we were like who is this person coming in in the minivan this like that person that's crazy like you would have expected him to come in on the porch just drive down the barn aisle because he just did what he wanted but no the minivan right. was a totally new thing remember he rolled down the window and just flipped us off do you remember that I know. I oh, I remember it clear as day. Which brings me to the next thing is that that was like one of the funniest things about him is like oh. no matter where you went with him, he knew everybody and yeah. he could do whatever he wanted. He so wanted. like he, I remember we went 
yeah, we went to Vegas and he, uh, oh my gosh. he called, he was freaking out paws. because where was he going to put the frosty paws? Yeah. And he was calling me asking if he could put them in my freezer. And I was like, well, of course you could put them in the freezer. And then I just get this like very direct text message. And he's like, don't worry about it. The office has me covered. Yeah. He conned the show office into holding the dog's frosty paws because every night at five o'clock, if you stayed with him, he, we could not go to dinner if it was at five o'clock because Clancy needed his frosty paws. And every time he opened it, he'd go frosty paw. It was the cutest thing in the world. I loved it. But also it was horrifying that he asked the show office and they did it. I couldn't believe it. I went in there and I was like, you don't, you don't have to do this. And they did. And I mean, I mean, I wouldn't keep them in my freezer. Remember that? I was like, no, these are yeah. for ice boots. And he's like, your dog doesn't need ice cream. Like, I don't understand why we're even having this discussion. <laughs> right. Right. What oh, is going gosh, on? I had forgotten about that. It was a great example of just how he could just really, I mean, it really, it's a testament. Like, everybody loved him. Everyone like, loved him. And he could yeah. just do whatever he wanted. He was a actual <laughs> legend. Like, he owned so many famous horses. And I remember, and it's just so crazy. I always say, like, for how big the horse world is, how small it is. Because years yeah. before I met you or Harry or your family, I was at an emerging athlete's, like, final I. I w it was one of the final and I can't remember where it was and like one of the things they had us do was like a mock-up press conference and we had to answer a couple of questions and I can't remember what all of them were but like one of them was like if you could ride any horse in the world like what horse would you ride and I was like immediately like flexible I was yeah. like flexible and then <laughs> it was so funny because it was I think like two or three years later I met you and I was like oh my god I was like yeah. starstruck I was like there's Harry Chapman and there's flexible <laughs> and then you meet Harry and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> then you meet Harry and you realize that although he is all of those things, he's more so a goofball and like doesn't give a rip. Oh my God, than anything. He's cool. <laughs> like, he, <laughs> no, like oh. literally does not give a, doesn't give a rip. And he was the best man. Yeah, it was, he was so funny. So, I think one of the coolest things to like circle back around again to like his diverse upbringing is I don't think people realize that he was literally at your farm every single day with you and like watching you school and the baby horses and all that. Oh, he was invested. Like um, after he sold his farm and, and didn't have an office there anymore and wasn't hands-on with his own horses because what people don't know is a lot of owners were disconnected. But my grandpa was in the barn every single day, not right. micromanaging by any means, but he wanted to be there. He watched his horses jog on Saturday mornings. He watched everything, you know. He watched him school because he wanted to really know – where they were going to be at and if if they could be at the level that he wanted them to be, you know, and not push them past their abilities, but keep them right where they're supposed to be. And he wanted to be a part of that with his with this trainer, you know, and to me, that was always really special. But he really missed that when he sold his farm. And so once I started riding with Jeff Cook and he had a little more involvement, he was he was exactly the same way. He actually put an office at my parents' farm <laughs> that he's his office window, he could see my arena. And when the weather was bad and I was schooling, he would make me keep my ringer on <laughs> and 
text me if my flat work was not up to his standard. <laughs> like, I was finally like, Grandpa, if you, oh, 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 and this is also my favorite. He was hard of hearing, which part of it I think was just like selective, <laughs> but he would come to every single Jeff Cook lesson, every single one. And he bought Jeff a megaphone, which if you know Jeff, you know that he doesn't want to use that. But he bought Jeff a megaphone just so he could hear, and then that way he could help me when Jeff wasn't there. I was just like, oh. And Jeff did it. God bless him. Like, He bought the megaphone, so it was socially acceptable for him to use the megaphone in the house. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, we still, like, keep it in the barn. That is what happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh for sure. My God. That's really funny. It was, it was something. But, yeah, if the weather was bad, he sat in his office and just watched, and that was pretty cool. I think he actually liked it when I moved home from Bend because – he used to drive down to Bend every couple weekends to watch my lessons with Jeff. And, and then once I moved back, he was like, yeah, I'm going to put my office here, you know, school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw him every single day. And that was one of the fun things about, so let's see, uh, I can't even remember what year it was. It must have been 2018, I'm thinking. No, when, um, wait, when we it's met? It's all a blur, I think. No, it was like 14. No, no when, when he came to the, when he came to the, when he came to the Buck Clinic, though. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I think it was 2018. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was 2018. Yeah, and he had heard about it, but, like, it was always because the schedules are always kind of weird, and we're always in Canada when the Oregon clinics happen. You know, there's always something going on. And finally, you had one of your baby horses, and yeah. he was like, we're going. <laughs> we're going. Yeah, it was really important to him. Um, yeah. I actually... I think, you know, kind of just to give everyone a little background, I, I I had two flexible babies, and they were difficult to start, and we sent them to a dear friend of ours, Ron Miller, who um, who was a connection we met through Jeff, and he's an incredible horseman and follows a lot of Buck's lessons and um, lesson planning and just total horsemanship, and I loved working with him, and so he started my babies, <clears throat> and I think... I know my grandpa really saw the value in that foundation that was put into my horses. And I think he didn't want my me to be like, have these wonderful babies with these great foundations and then lose it because I didn't know how to follow through. And that was so important for him is, you know, follow through on your horsemanship. And um, so I think that was like a huge, that kind of lit a fire under him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was like, it was amazing because when he was there, I mean, for anyone who's been to any kind of clinic, I mean, normally, you know, you're in bleacher seating, like it was a bigger venue. And he, um, I mean, Harry sat through six hours of clinic every day and the bleachers and just didn't say a word and just like watched so intently every single person ride. I mean, and it's pretty, you know, it, it can be kind of like cognitive overload a little intense. bit if you haven't been because yeah there's what 25 riders yeah. in each class there's a lot of information there's a lot of stuff happening and yeah. um, he just like he watched the whole time yeah he did and he was like he was sucked in like I thought he'd like leave during you know lunch or whatever because I was done and no he was right there he wanted to 
he, he wanted to educate himself because like I said, he was so invested in my, my performance and my horsemanship that he wanted, he wanted to make sure I was going to do it when I got home, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was learning how to teach you from his megaphone. <laughs> yeah. And during this buck clinic, my grandpa was like 82 years old at this time, or I guess 80. And can you imagine it was, it was pretty cold in there. And being 80 years old, sitting on that bleacher, you know, but that's what he did. And it, he was he was just sucked in. It was really cool to see his openness because his programs in the past have not been anything like that. And so different getting, approach. Yeah. yeah, a totally different approach for a lot of the same end goal for a finished horse. Right. Like, yeah. You can argue his his yeah. great horses are all very finished horses and exceptional and, and what everyone wants to ride. It's just a different way of getting there and attainable for someone who is not an elite athlete or not, you know, pursuing an Olympic career. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it was, it was really special. Yeah. And I think that's like what we talked about with him was like the ability to basically be able to go in and, and really achieve something and refine it as an art and rec the recognition that that doesn't necessarily mean an Olympic gold medal. Like you can be a winner every day with your horse at the barn, just from the way you handle them and your interactions with them. And I know Jojo's going to want to like speak to this a little bit, but you know, he, I remember him saying like, this needs to be a prerequisite. Like it doesn't matter if you want to drive horses, if you want to jump horses or you want to rope horses. He's like, I think everybody has to do this clinic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's a big thing that we learned from Jeff. I mean, you didn't, you had a, you had a different, you know, you learned it straight from Buck himself. Right. But, um, from Jeff, when when my grandpa and I kind of moved over to him, Jeff was so focused on horsemanship, and and I was like a fine, I was a fine rider. I had a meter thirty horse that I got around the ring, but nothing that I would have ever been proud of. And my horsemanship was not what it should have been. And my grandpa knew that, and he he took me to Jeff and and knew that that I would be piloted in the right direction, you know. Yeah. So that encouragement, I think, I think gave gave uh, my grandpa some. I don't know how to describe it. Like, I think it gave him renewed like hope and like faith in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And cause I think like, it's like so much of the, so much of the industry. I think when you, especially you don't realize it, but when you're really behind the scenes and especially at a really competitive level, it, it can be really hard to like watch, you know, some of the stuff that happens and, and yeah. you know, 90% of it is good, right? Like it's Absolutely. not like it's all bad, but Absolutely. it can be hard to watch that grind and you see how many horses like just don't get the, um, the same opportunities yeah. and aren't, you know, they're kind of dismissed because maybe they're not going to be excellent at the role that they were pre-selected for or whatever. Sure. And I think it does wear on a lot of people. It makes you think of your horse as a tool. We see that a lot in our sport instead of a partner, you know, yeah. and my grandpa did not want that. He did not want that for, for me. And he was so fearful that I would kind of get sucked into that, that he did everything he could to make sure that that didn't happen. Right. Another good kind of thing to talk about with that, Allie, is when I went to buy Lucci. Oh, yes. it's like one, yeah. It's kind of one of my favorite grandpa stories because 
we flew, my grandpa and Jeff and I flew down to San Diego to go try a couple horses. And I was very excited. It was like my first time kind of doing this with Jeff and and my grandpa together. And so little did I know that my input was going to be pretty small in this choice. (laughs) (laughs) So we went down there and we tried two horses, Lucci, my horse, you know, Cornette Rubin. And uh, I don't know, this other horse, I don't even remember its name, but I had a spectacular ride on this bay other horse (laughs) like I got on and I jumped it like you know meter 35 the first time which if you guys know me that is not me (laughs) I need a I need a little (laughs) practice first before I can jump some bigger stuff and so I was like yeah grandpa like this is the one and and so when we went we went to go try Luchi and I think I could maybe trot him like in a circle I jumped him but it was like Jeff had to set up this gymnastic just so I could jump over three foot because I couldn't stay on him (laughs) and and he was like getting all spooled up when we were jumping. And um it was clearly not going as well as this wonderful bay horse that I had tried. And um so we went to dinner after and I was like, Okay, like let's let's talk about today and both Jeff and my grandpa were like, it's very clear the horse that, that we're gonna pick, you know? And I was like, Absolutely no question. And I was like, the bay horse. And they were like, no, (laughs) the white horse. And I was like, what? (laughs) That thing? You know, I mean, I couldn't even say on him. And my grandpa was like, I am not going to help you get something that you are just going to learn to be a showman on. He's like, I'm going to get you something that's going to teach you how to ride and teach you to be a horsewoman. And by God, has that horse done that, you know? And it, it really was the greatest decision <laughs> of my of my riding careers to get that horse. And it was all, you know, really my grandpa and, and Jeff saying, this is the right thing for you to be a better horse horseman. And um, we have done a lot of diverse things with him. He's done a, a lot of groundwork <laughs> because let me tell you, he's a spooky son of a gun. <laughs> um, and... I can honestly say that this work that, Ali, you helped me a lot with, and the Buck Clinic, I didn't take him, but helped me a lot with, and um, Jeff was very involved in that as well, and remember, he would, like, go groundwork him, you know, the night before, <laughs> and oh, yeah. uh, it just yeah. was like, he was like, we're getting the spook <laughs> out of him, and nothing, like, nothing mean or aggressive like you can see in our sport, but just encouraging my horse in a different way and it worked so well I think after we started all of that with Lucci I think he was never less than second in any of his classes I mean he really he he gained so much confidence from that you know I just I can't say enough about it but anyways that was kind of my one of my favorite grandpa stories and now, and we know Harry was megaphone in hand when you would slot him Western. Oh, he didn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, you can ride the baby's Western, but you can't ride Lucci Western. Now he goes like 50% Western, but <laughs> good gracious. But I'm telling you, he's the softest horse now because I started doing all of this work, you know? 
and it's just the best horse to flat. People get jealous now. <laughs> I remember the conditions under which you bought your first Western saddle, and it was that you, I, I'm pretty sure it was that you weren't to ride Luchi in yeah. it. You could ride the others yeah. in it. Yeah, if it was to make the babies better. Yeah. If it was the, in like, yeah. uh, probably rode the babies like 10 times <laughs> in it before I sold them. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. So funny. That all came to be at the that clinic yeah. when you guys were down in Corning. And yeah, and we were talking a little bit about that JoJo and like how he was so sold on it, like from watching it and then just saying it needed to really be like a prerequisite for all the young riders. Cause we were just talking about how it can be so like disheartening on a higher level sometimes. And you know how that, like Harry kind of had that renewed like hope or faith, I think for like the younger generations in the industry and got like super schooled up about how to like share that knowledge and that information. And like Jessica, like you were saying, doing it with the babies and with Lucci and then, you know, and just watching that trickle down effect in your own network is pretty cool. Yeah, he, he did. He absolutely yeah. loved that. And when he went with us on that trip, I never thought that he would spend the time that he did on the bleachers. I mean, it, 80 something years old and didn't even bring him a cushion. Right. <laughs> yeah. Remember he, mom handed up bringing a pillow from the That's hotel right. and then it got like super nasty. Yeah. And I was like, grandpa, don't, don't, don't take that bag in there. Just like, take it, <laughs> just steal it. <laughs> like You don't need to like take this dirty, nasty <laughs> pillow back in there. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh my God. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Well, and it became, so we got this opportunity, right? So he, Harry passed and doing yep. exactly what he loved. Yeah. Never, never mind the circumstances, but I mean, he, he literally went out with his literally. boots on. I yeah. mean, completely. Yeah. With his horse and his boots literally. on. Literally. I mean, literally. Yeah. And after Jessica won, like a round of, out of like 70 people in Canada. Yeah. And I just remember, like, you know, <laughs> once all the everything kind of settled and we were talking about it and, like, what a way to – because you can't, like – you know, we're talking about, like, Harry's – he's not a your everyday man. No. Like, he's very unique. So, like, what are you going to do? Harry doesn't want just any award in his name. Like, he doesn't want a, like, no. trophy. Like, you know, you got to do something that, like, matches the man a little yeah. bit. Yeah, <laughs> you do. And my grandpa, like, he loved to win so much. But, like, to him, if you did something that he felt – well, you just didn't – if you didn't ride well. For example, I had a – I have um, this beautiful habit of um, chipping at the first jump. And uh, (laughs) so (laughs) – yeah, I do. I do. It's like a real skill. Thank God my horse is fast in front, but um, not proud of it by any means. But like I get so nervous and then it's like takes me like three jumps to get my poop in a group. But anyways, my grandpa would always be like, you may win, you know, when you do that. And he's like, but not to me, you know, and it wasn't that he was being hard on me. It wasn't that he was, he was like, just do better for your horse. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm freaking trying, Gramps. Like, I just get in there and get so <laughs> flustered, <laughs> you know, and finally I did get it together. <laughs> you know, my last year was pretty dang good, but God, I just, uh, it just to him, that wasn't, that wasn't good enough. And not because he's a, a jerk or because he was too hard on me or whatever, but he just wanted more. He wanted 
the best for his horses and and um he knew that I could be better. Well, he was a man of process. Yeah. And like, he would just be like, I don't, you know, get your rhythm. Like, I don't understand why you don't take a couple minutes to just get that, you know? And it was really important to him and get with your horse. Like Buck always talks about, you know, getting in sync. And like, I just wasn't, I wasn't doing that. And, uh, this really helped, you know, my time at the Buck Clinic really helped because um, although I wasn't with Lucci, I went home and immediately started doing it with him and I got my timing. I got my rhythm and that really changed. Don't you think, Allie? You like me. You're yeah. my best friend. You've watched me show every single round I've ever done, you know, but I do think that that was a big turning point for me and my connection with my horse. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think that that you see it like I said the trickle down effects yeah. like not only with the young horses you were doing but with Lucci and then really the commitment to like that continuing education in yeah. that specific way that you really felt from your support system between Jojo between you between Harry and you Jeff, know Jeff like, like Jeff was so network. supportive yeah and he would always be like you got to find a balance you got to find a balance between this what did he what does he call it like slow western work and your jumping work and I think we do a pretty good job at that. And I and I think that there. And I think. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, you're good. I was gonna say I think that the interesting thing is that what you felt kind of cultivated in your network and like mm-hmm. in your group was exactly what I think Harry wished for a lot of people. Yeah. Like like how do you figure it out? How do you find it? How do you find the resources? Because our industry is so siloed and it is so fragmented. And so sometimes figuring out like where to go or what resources are available and who can kind of understand that and like help with just fundamentals can be really quite a task. Absolutely. And that's why three reigns so successful. I mean, that's the whole point is to have these resources that you can bring better horsemanship and, my grandpa just would have been so behind that. That's really why it was so important to do this. Yeah, and I think that was one thing when this all came together. So it's obviously called the Harry Chapman Memorial Scholarship, and you can find more information on the website, and we'll, we can link it in the description of the podcast. But I think that was one of the most exciting things of like that kind of epiphany moment of like, oh my God, what a way to honor Harry because – Yes, he was like the most competitive individual probably <laughs> on the planet. Like, I don't know, we could debate that, but like I would yeah. say like he was so competitive. But he was such a man of like advocating for animal welfare for the process and for the system that got you to that end result. And Absolutely. that leg up initially. And you you saw this in all aspects of his riding. Like his um saddlebred or his road horse, you know, coach Chuck um, who was also my grandpa's dearest friend, him and his wife, Carol, they are horse people and they are just as passionate about horsemanship as, um, as we are. (laughs) But it was so amazing because I just have to say this because this is why my grandpa rode with them. Not only was he dear friends with them, but, um, they, kept his horses safe and they kept my grandpa safe in his older years because of their kindness and their partnership that they could help him develop with his horses and they developed with his horses. And so my grandpa just, he would not partner with someone who didn't put horsemanship first. Yes, he loved to win, right. but that was second. And I think just people need, you know, that that's 
that's what our family is about, don't you think, Mom? Yes, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I just – you saw that in all aspects, and I think people didn't always get to see that side of him, you know, because they were so engulfed in, in in the part, like, that you saw in the valley, like his – yeah, and the le- winning, a little bit of a legend, you know? And at the end, it was such a big concern to make sure that, that the other people that worked with his horses were well taken care of and that the horses were well yeah. cared for, yeah. you know, like – the few things that he could do as he got older, you know, like bring the 50 pound bag of carrots. If you would, Jojo, please go and load it or something like that. But that was his way of still, you know, trying to help a little. Yeah. And like, you know, when he had his show horses, he assigned certain grooms to certain horses. So he, everything, the horsemanship was good. And that continuity of care mm. was a priority. And, um, you so, you see that and and everything my grandpa did but anyways and that's take it away Al that's really why we're doing this yeah sorry exactly do there no 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 not at all I mean it's all such a part of the story and I think that's like it's exactly the testament of like we see all the winnings but you know it's really the behind the scenes that kind of matters Absolutely. and I think that was one of the coolest parts about being able to offer this with you guys with the Chapman and Petro family combined is being able to provide that opportunity and right now we have it set so there's any hunter jumper rider but I'm we're very hopeful we can expand that in the future and make more opportunities available and and so it's super exciting because we're going to have four winners we had to obviously delay last year because of COVID but the four winners are going to be at the Corning Buck Branham and Clinic coming up the last weekend of April first weekend of May and then we'll do some fun stuff with them to kind of get their take on it and I think for most of them this will be kind of a first time experience at a clinic at a, at a buck clinic so the perspective there they're all active within the industry we have some juniors we all have some professionals so it's going to be really fun to just watch that process and um, watch them evolve and we'll definitely chat with them uh just following kind of see what they took away um but no, I mean, we're, we're really excited. I think I can speak for everybody on the call. And I said, we're super excited to be able to offer this annually and, and expand it in the future. And we're three rain. Our team is super grateful that you guys trusted us to help facilitate this. So we're very grateful for you guys and very, very grateful for Harry. Yeah. And, and just like, like I said, in the beginning, like all of this would not be possible, Ali, without Without you and um, your whole team at Three Rain and, you know, my mom and, and Jeff and his my grandpa's wife, Molly, I just think that, uh, yeah, very special thing for our family. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing for everyone. So we're super excited about it and we're going to um, keep everyone up to date on Facebook and Instagram. I'm sure we'll do some like fun stories and giveaways and yeah, we're going to circle back with the podcast with a couple of the winners afterwards. So we will be on for that, but looking forward to the clinics and yeah, thank you guys for joining us for the first official episode of the leading rain, like back as a podcast. (laughs) We're so excited to be doing it. (laughs) I know. I know. So (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. And um, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing you guys soon. 
Thanks for joining us this week on The Leading Rain. Make sure to visit our website, www.3rain.com, and subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. If you enjoyed the show, share with a friend. We'll see you soon, and happy trails.